0: Hello and welcome to CAA Conversations. I'm here today with Justin Lincoln and Amy Alexander. Justin Lincoln is a an associate professor at New Genres and Digital Art at Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington, where he is bringing the indie-slash-DIY ethos to his students involved with new media. And Amy Alexander is an associate professor in Visual Arts at UC San Diego. Her teaching bounces around the overlaps of tech art, public art, expanded cinema, and performance, and is sprinkled with occasional bursts of unabashed geekery. And today, these two will be discussing programming in the arts. So, without further ado, I'm going to
1: hand the conversation over to these two. Um, well, I figured we'd start our conversation today by, by maybe talking about how we got involved in teaching new media and making art with new media and programming.
0: Okay. Got an hour and a half? No, just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You want me to go first? Sure, sure. All right. Uh, Let's see. Um, Well, my undergrad uh, studies were in radio, television, film, and uh, that was um, around 1990. And uh, our professors used to tell us, "Hey, you you might want to think about you know becoming professors uh, because." you get to uh, make your own films with the school's equipment. And, uh, you know, at the time, you couldn't just make films yourself, right? There was, like, you know, these uh, 16-millimeter ARRI cameras and Nagras and Steenbecks, all this expensive stuff. So I was like, well, that sounds great. Uh, And... uh, but then I went out and I, I worked after college, and uh, one of the jobs I had was um, with a high school. I was uh, in working in this high school TV studio and doing some teaching, and I thought, no, this is actually kind of cool, you know, beyond the sort of selfish reasons of wanting to have access to equipment. This is actually kind of a cool thing to do, work with students and help them uh, learn stuff and do projects and, and stuff. Um, so when I went to grad school, uh I again went for film, went to a Cal CalArts film video program. And uh new media was just sort of starting to exist at the time. Um and it was kind of known as nonlinear media, which excited me because uh the films I was making tended to be nonlinear in time and uh and anyone who knows me will tell you that I'm sort of a nonlinear thinker. You know, we'll probably finish this podcast before you know we start or something the way i <laughs> I, I ramble on. And so this just sounded fabulous, nonlinear media. So I went to Cal Arts and I studied uh, film and was sort of dabbling in new media. Uh, and uh, then i I ended up banging up my hand pretty bad while I was in grad school and couldn't really shoot film. Uh, do much else. And also almost, I think the same month we had the Northridge earthquake, which uh, temporarily destroyed CalArts. And we had to move into this abandoned Lockheed facility and we didn't have all of the equipment. So one of the things that was set up there at the Lockheed facility was computer animation lab. And the new media labs came online pretty quick too. And I had this hand that could type before it could do other things. So I got heavier into computing than I had intended to. um, And uh, basically uh, came out the other end and uh, ready to really, uh, uh, you know, teach and uh, be a professor in new media, but, you know, still making my own work, did some odd jobs, uh, worked for CalArts for a while doing uh, IT stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and my work were just kind of starting to, to merge. I was kind of using, uh, you know, there were Silicon graphics computers, which we would learned to animate on, but I realized that you could, you know, do process-based net art with them and, and, you know, kind of getting into Unix and all this stuff. Um, and so eventually these threads just kind of came together and, and, uh, uh, eventually was teaching, uh, new media and, and, uh. Uh, was uh, happily hired at uh, UCSD and uh, here I am so I don't know how about you
1: well well, one thing that that um, if I remember correctly in looking at your bio um, did you spend some time also working in in professional production houses
0: yeah a little bit here uh here and there um both during uh um, you know, after after college and a few uh different gigs with uh you know video editing and TV production and stuff. And after grad school I had some uh jobs doing um computer animation and a little bit of um um digital effects actually with Macromedia Director, which was uh-huh. like the big interactive that was actually being used for um Uh, to generate digital effects on I forget what the show was it was on Fox and I I remember doing this one where there was uh, I was animating this text of uh, it was supposed to be that that and this was like early you know mid-90s um and so this didn't really exist online but it was supposed to be that somebody was looking up somebody's military records and there was this crazy flying text on the screen and you know and so i was making this like sort of sci-fi text that was supposed to be used by this um character in the show and so like the actor Mm -hmm. would know what keys to push when something was supposed to happen and you know i was programming all that at the time i thought it was really funny like this stuff would uh-huh. never be on the internet <laughs> right oh my that, yeah <laughs> it's like looking well, we'll back of that now yeah well it's funny because i, I
1: asked the question because for for me um i steered really far clear of anything resembling sort of industry or uh professional media making um it's it's funny. In looking back, uh, I guess like the trajectory of my education started with uh, I I got an English degree before I did anything else, and um, and eventually went back to school to get a, a second undergrad degree in art. And I thought I wanted to go into design, but uh, my foundations teachers uh, looked at what I was doing, and they they kind of. Steered me towards sculpture, which really surprised me. Um, I, I guess one of the reasons why I work with media so much is that like I'm not a very handsy uh, person. I uh, I don't tend to build a lot of stuff, uh, but I like to push buttons
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, and I like to uh, you know move my mouse around. And um, and so I was really surprised that I ended up in a uh, a sculpture program at Virginia Commonwealth University, and luckily they gave me this really wide berth in the department. And most of what I d- was doing was uh, involved doing performance work and video making. And probably towards the end of my undergrad career, I started making videos that were basically um i don't know i I guess i right now i would call them proto vlogs um there was no youtube this would have been 1999 2000 and um i started doing performances where i would just be very sleep deprived maybe not (laughs) sleep for a day or two and at first that was very incidental but eventually i sort of cultivated that (laughs) <laughs> and started talking to the camera and sort of ruminating on a potential audience that may or may not be in the gallery um when i was doing that everyone kind of like told me you know you need to look at vito akanchi and and bruce nauman and all of that sort of stuff um but i i'm convinced that if i was to be doing that now i would very likely be putting those same videos uh somewhere on the web. Um, I continued doing that sort of work in grad school. Um, and I, I feel like I didn't really get uh, very involved with, quote, unquote, new media outside of sort of very basic video art, uh, thus that sort of pointing back to Akanchi and Nauman and that sort of thing. Um, I didn't really start getting more involved in in uh, new media, w- until after I finished grad school, and I moved to Japan, and I was teaching English for a couple of years, and I got really involved in blogging, and uh, and I, I guess, let's see, that would have been around 2002 to about 2006, and I feel like that was sort of the first blush of Web 2.0, Mm -hmm. And somehow Web 2.0 seemed really, really familiar to me. Um, Somehow all of the sort of energy and activity I saw uh, in, you know, uh, I don't know, in Flickr or Blogger or any number of other sorts of platforms, uh, it, it reminded me of the kind of thing that I used to do. Um, I don't know, when I was first, when I was an undergrad and doing, like, indie rock, like, hosting Mm -hmm. indie (laughs) rock shows or kind of making a gallery uh, to show my friends' work. Oh, that's that's is
0: Blogging is the indie rock show of the internet. All right. Yeah, and, like,
1: (laughs) um, and I felt like, you know, that that sort of enthusiasm like really prompted me to get more involved in, in using, using my computer. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't really start getting involved with programming until maybe, oh man, that would have been five or six years later. Um, But I don't know. I I think that that's, maybe setting up those sort of like that background for the two of us before we, um, started, well, actually you, you sort yeah, of started I, programming already.
0: I, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 a good point. Um, so, you know, my, my dad always wanted me to be a programmer from like fifth, you know, in fifth grade he had to, like, we had to write a report about like what we we're going to do and I, Grew, when we grew up, and I, I didn't know, and my father said, say that you want to be a software engineer." And he didn't say programmer he said software engineer because he considered uh-huh. programmers people that typed in code, and the software engineers were people that really designed things. And I was like, "What, what is this? And he had, you know, he almost had to dictate the whole thing to me. Um and so as I grew up, I was playing music and uh, and he was really, you know, wanting me to go into computer science uh he'd been an engineer and somehow he thought I should be in computer science and when i the harder he pushed the harder i pushed back kind of thing um by high school uh i did, did take a computer science course in high school and uh you know he would bring home uh it was so cute. He'd bring home this like CPM because people didn't have home computers then. So he'd bring the CPM terminal home from RCA and we had an, it had an acoustic coupler modem. You, you put the, you know, the thing, the, the, your phone receiver on it and you could dial into the RCA computer, which is where he worked. And, and you could, you know, and I wrote my basic code homework and he kept telling me, oh, you're really good at this. Um, and, um yeah, there was just so many things, you know, pushing in the opposite direction for a teenage girl at, at, you know, this is the early eighties. Um, and my friend, you know, my friends would say to me, like, I, he had sort of talked me into double majoring in computer science and, uh, my friends would say like, oh, I'd hate to be sitting behind a computer all day. And I'd be like, mm, yeah, it does sound awful. And I was sort of, you know, breaking into night sweats about uh, cubicle farms and and uh-huh. stuff. I did try when I went, my first attempt, to co- there were a few attempts at college. And, and one of them, it was a double major uh, at a university, music and um, and computer science. And when I went up, to sci- up for my computer science classes, uh, they said, music and, and computer science, that's a weird major. And I, you know, that's a weird combination. What, what, what are you doing here? And I said, uh, well, my dad wanted me to do it. And they said, oh, well then you'll never make it. Get out of here. <laughs> they like, threw me wow. out of the CS program before I started. And it's like, so now I'm like so happy because I teach in a, in a program that is like a combination of visual arts, music, and computer science and you know I'm on phd committees of people in take getting computer music degrees and you know uh-huh. that guy was so down on me in 1983 for saying that but um yeah so I, I did you know i did a did way back and i you know i did i took a, a college course and we programmed fortran on punch cards and so i did those weird things but i never really got into it until uh-huh. grad school um, you know, I took a course there, and there I was a little more you know serious and could understand how you know I could potentially move it together with my um art. so I wasn't really you know uh, trying to do it until until grad school programming, but um, yeah, so I'm very sympathetic to um, students who are put off from uh programming. For, you know, particularly women students, you know, because they've been told their whole life, well, I don't know if it's still the same, but I was told my whole life, you know, math and science are for boys and, you know, English and social studies are for girls and, oh, you don't want to be sitting behind it, you know, this is for nerds. And and now I kind of have actually kind of studied the history of how some of those things came to be about. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I can definitely relate to, um, to students who were coming in with with that kind of bias about programming.
1: Yeah, I know that when, uh, one thing that kept me from getting involved with programming was that um, most of my high school experience with math was really miserable. And I felt like I didn't have the sort of math chops that I would need uh, to do computer programming. Um, but as I got more and more involved with programming, particularly through uh, processing, um, I realized that there was a whole lot more to it than math. And more and more, like the longer that I work with programming, the more it starts feeling like as, as much a philosophical mm-hmm. discipline as a
0: mathematical
1: discipline and a creative yeah. one, of course.
0: Yeah. I mean, it to me, it feels like music and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm active with uh, or semi-active, I guess, with the, the live coding community, which is, you know, whole, f- full of people who also, you know, who, who improvise um, computer code on screen as a way of making improvising music. And, you know, these are people that, you know, just naturally think about music and programming together but there's you know those structures of 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 loops and you know loops with variations and rhythms uh you know to me it, growing up playing music it's like oh okay i get it these are sort of you know two sides of the same um coin and that's that's actually one of the things i try to uh teach in some of my classes even though i'm teaching the visual arts programs is you know like Uh, They have an assignment where they're doing a visual rhythms project. We look at, you know, films by Oscar Fishinger and different people have made these sort of rhythmic films. And then they have a project uh, using programming, processing in this case, to um, uh, do that. I mean, that's one of the few actually sort of screen heavy assignments that we end up uh, doing, but... You know the reason I think it's useful is because for some people, I think it that that helps it click. Of you know this is right. yeah this is not about math. This is about you know, about motion in some form. Whether you think about it as music or dance or film, it's it's somehow this is this is in motion. This this you know a, a piece of software something that moves. It's not a piece of static computer code, which wouldn't have occurred to me when I was you know 20 years old. Exactly, and and I I
1: feel like your example about loops and its connection to music is really really clear these days, since so so many uh, sound software packages are sort of built around ideas of loops,
0: loops, yeah, and
1: things like that. And it's it's funny because this sort of also leads me to to think about you know for for me. In my program, um, you know, I when I teach uh, programming at a beginning level, I don't expect that every student that I'm teaching is going to become a programmer. Um, but there are sort of ideas in programming. Uh, your example of a loop could be one of them that I think is really applicable outside of programming. Another big one for me is the idea of um, of variables. I feel Mm -hmm. like if people understand what a variable is, they're going to see variables all around them in life. And when they look at things systematically and they think of the things that are bound to change or the things that they can mm-hmm. change within a system, I think that that's really empowering, even for someone who, after my class, maybe
0: doesn't do any mm-hmm. more programming. Wow, that that's blowing my mind. Everything around you is variables in, in life. Uh, There's a great story like that a, someone... Oh, yeah. Go, yeah, go ahead and tell it, because I'm trying well, to... Someone, yeah.
1: Someone told me this story about um, how John Cage went to a, um, a printmaking shop. It, I, I'm not sure if it was maybe Crown Point Press, but he was asked to make prints there, and he had never done so before. Um, but he came there with this big, um, this big suitcase full of rocks, and um, people weren't quite sure what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. But then he asked the people at the printmaking shop, um, what are the variables in your process? Like, what can, okay. I, yeah. what can I randomize in terms of these rocks? Right. Yeah. And how thing you know these variables in in that context mm-hmm. could include things like where these rocks are placed, right, right, right uh, yeah. on on uh, 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 on a press, but also how hard they're pressing or mm-hmm. what kind of ink they're using or any number of things. Mm-hmm. And when when I heard that story, I was like, yeah, this is um, totally programmatic thinking.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's. Uh- Uh, John Cage is one of the people that, uh, my students must be sick to death of, of hearing me talk (laughs) about, like every example. Yeah, uh, these John Cage and, um, you know, people like Schoenberg who composed algorithmically before computers are, um, that's, it's, that's a big part of what I teach that, you know, computers and algorithms Are not and variables for that matter are 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 not you know necessarily connected, right? You don't. Computers are not a a requirement for algorithms and variables, and nor did this kind of um, art making start with computers. so that's, that's like a, a, a good point, but I, I like your idea of sort of expanding that even beyond art making into like, you know, philosophical and, and daily life. That's, uh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Um, so you're, you're teaching, you're teaching programming to beginning Are they first year students? Well, are they artists
1: well, or it's a, it's a really diverse group. Um, since I teach at a small liberal arts college, uh, the majority of my students are non-art majors. Uh, they are often fulfilling a um, they are ful- fulfilling a an arts requirement, but they have a lot of choice in in mm-hmm. what they can take. Um, and it's funny because I think when I when I started teaching the class, there was definitely an expectation from the students that the the beginning classes would be would have a stress on adobe products that everyone wanted to learn photoshop and illustrator and things like that and you know i i do cover some of that but there's only so much that i can do in a given class and i probably put more emphasis on um on processing in my beginning classes uh, luckily, a, a few years ago, we we restructured our foundations program. So I have a class, even before my beginning class, a foundations level class, that I can just focus on something like uh, uh, Adobe products. But I feel like uh, since my beginning class is a class that I teach every semester, to if I had to teach... Adobe products 100% of the time every semester mm-hmm. I would go mad <laughs> um, I, I I just find uh, I find working with something like processing or stepping into things like uh, working with glitches or uh, I don't know any any number of other routes outside mm-hmm. of a more corporate, uh, tool is, uh, is a lot more exciting for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, I, um, boy, if I had to teach Adobe products, I would actually have to learn them. <laughs> I don't, uh-huh. don't even hardly. It's really, uh, uh, yeah. Every time I have to do something, actually, I don't even own the Adobe products. I use pick pixel Mater. this thing huh? that's like $60 on the Mac. It's like fake Photoshop. Um,
1: but oh, I, I think I, it's, it's I do not that as as
0: Final Cut. I do do that, but um, yeah. yeah, I'm. Uh, I sometimes I say I, I make software because uh, I can't figure out how to use software. Um, but um, yeah, I I don't actually don't teach um, beginning level courses just by by happen chance. Uh, so it's interesting to hear. You know, always talk to people. I mean, we have people in my own program, of course, my colleagues that do teach the beginning courses. But um, by the time I get them, they've they've got some exposure to c- computing in the arts. They usually some of them have programmed and and have taken like CS courses, and some of them have no um, programming. Uh, but they've all taken some, you know, digital media in the arts um, courses so it's always interesting for me to you know kind of uh talk to people that are are teaching beginners and
1: well it's 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 interesting that you mentioned pixelmator because i think something like pixelmator is great and i'd love to see uh more uh more companies and more competition for something like adobe in large part because when i look at most adobe products I think that they're overdeveloped by this point in time. They've had like decades of development time, and they've become so, I mean, they're, they're very, I find them really difficult to teach because um, as you try to, uh, for example, if you're giving a tutorial and you're covering a particular tool, if students are also on their computers at the same time, you know they're going to discover something else in this like vast world of yeah. photoshop yeah. or something and they'll waywardly start experimenting with that while i'm trying to cover something else and i think that that's actually a natural inclination mm-hmm. i like i would do the same thing and you know i think that that right now because of the sort of uh I don't know the DIY culture online, where people are making tutorials for each other. Um, you know, I think that that's kind of exciting, and I think it's it sometimes feels like um, like it's much more. Uh, I, I feel like like the classroom can get much more challenging and uh, and
0: surprising.
1: If you, um, if you aren't just doing a bunch of
0: tutorials. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. I'm surprised they don't offer like a, an educational package, which, you know, they'll charge, you know, an extra $200 or whatever for that, where they lock and you can lock parts of it down so that, you know, <laughs> students can only get to this menu and then they can get to that menu.
1: <laughs> that's actually a really interesting idea. <sighs>
0: Yeah. Well maybe if you're listening, yeah. Adobe, uh I'll take yeah. <laughs> well I'll maybe work on your development team for you. I, I don't work cheap, no. <laughs> well
1: it's it's funny too because I think that that um recently, maybe it was a, in the last year or so, um Lev Manovich mentioned on Facebook that if he was to teach a class in Adobe uh today, he would confine the students to using maybe one or two tools in the, the toolbar mm-hmm. for the whole semester. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, that's, it, that's kind of amazing. I think that constraints can be really good yeah. and, and, and programming can, can help, uh, stress that too.
0: Sure. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it, it's something I deal with too, though, in, um, uh, I teach a course uh, where we mostly use um, max MSP, and we're doing uh, uh, audio, but mostly um, real-time visuals. And um, but it's they, it, it's very easy for people to find like the cheesiest filter and and run your visuals through that. Um, and it's it's harder to uh, get people to work with, you know, the more banal stuff like, you know, controlling your timing or, you know. Uh, so, um, yeah, so programming is not necessarily uh, a solution because, of course, they can still program the, uh, the crazy uh, uh, stuff.
1: Actually, now might be a good time to kind of talk about maybe other goals that you have when you're, when you're teaching programming Ah, to your students.
0: Ah, yes. Okay. So everybody comes into classes and they go, oh, is this the processing class? Is this the max class? Is this the Java class? Is this, this class, the open frameworks class? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's this tendency for people to think that the class is the development environment. And so like my number one goal is for them to not think that by the end, um, even though they will anyway, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I feel like uh, an old an old timer. I had a professor in college, but it, you know, it's totally true. He used to tell us, and we were learning, you know, video production on, on old Grass Valley switchers and stuff. And he'd say, you know, the tech can be taught to a smart sixth graders. It's the concepts that you need to learn, and that the tech is going to constantly change, and the concepts are what you need to take with you. And mm-hmm. it's that like that hasn't changed a bit, right? It's you know. Uh, we taught director and now, and then we taught flash and then we taught processing and eventually it'll be something else. Um, so um, getting people to sort of focus on concepts versus specifics of programming languages is one thing, but the, the bigger goal for me, I, I think of what we're doing as um, teaching the artist inventors of the near future. Like mm-hmm. I I think of what we're doing as, as, being, like, the people that you see in, like, late 19th, early 20th century pictures uh, working on the inventions, the goofy inventions that existed right before the real one. So, like, before the airplane, and there were, like, the the people that, you know, uh, know, put strapped uh, wings to their arms and went, you know, flying off, right? Um, So that was actually... Um something that the, the Wright brothers referred to in their research for, you know, getting a plane to actually work. And there were these people mm-hmm. that made these weird contraptions, um, trying to invent motion pictures, and those actually kind of fed into uh, what we have now. Um, and some things existed on their own. You know, Mary Hall- Mary Hallett Greenwald, the patron saint of uh, female uh, audiovisual performers, I guess, she did these color organs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the her work, her color organ that she made is, I mean, she actually did work on other things that turned into like stats and stuff like that. But, you know, that's like, that that was a great thing on on its own right it's it wasn't like a funny thing it was a success on its own and you know spurred further development of you know audiovisual performance so whatever anybody's working on i you know it's important to me that that they kind of think of this as you know your job is not to mimic things that already exist, but you you are, you know, here in college right now, you are even um, starting to invent the future, right? Whether it's, you know, actual inventions or you're inventing the media of the future. And so my main goal is that they kind of see what they're doing in in that context and believe in what they're doing because they, they, you know, your program nowadays to believe that things are invented by big companies and big universities with big, uh, you know, big budgets, and everything has to be smooth and slick, and and that's why everything sucks. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? um, so there's you know obviously plenty of opportunity to to make things individually if you if you realize that you can do that. So that's my number one goal. And, you know, I see teaching programming as part of that, but like you, they don't Mm -hmm. don't have to program when they get out of here, as long as they Mm -hmm. kind of have this mindset of their job being to invent something new. Yeah. I think that,
1: that um, a lot of my feelings really echo yours. I mean, as you're talking about your, your priorities and, and, goals. Um, this, this idea of inventiveness for me, it, it, you know, it seeps into a, a lot of other, I don't know, colorful ideas in my mind. I think that, you know, to some degree, we are, you know, we're trying to cultivate an orientation towards the future to some degree we're like, uh, we're teaching people to, uh, to maybe react against standardization and come up with their own solutions to basically get them to mutate, to get them to be weirdos amongst other things. I mean, I think that like there's, I don't know, it It, it may sometimes sound dumb. I think when I talk about that as a goal, this sort of like cultivation of the sort of freakiness and weirdness that, that may may often lay dormant in our students mm-hmm. but i think going back to these issues of standardization there's something really political about that too that like uh you know there's there's a ton of conformism despite any gloss that we may have of you know difference in culture you know i think that 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 a an encouragement of uh not only accepting difference but a kind of growing into
0: difference
1: mm-hmm. is really really important too
0: yeah and i think i think students you know largely they 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 have that in them they they know it's in there but they're um you know they've been conditioned by the school system to um you know, to conform, right. That there's, there's an answer for things and you have to, you know, you have to please the, uh, please the teacher or something, right. You know, you you don't do what you think, uh, is, is cool. And, you know, a lot of teaching is, is, you know, getting people to, yeah, let out their inner, inner weirdo as you, Mm -hmm. um, as you put, put it. Um, I know what, what, Things that really you know excites me in in teaching is not only when students sort of find their own voice and they they let out their inner weirdo, um, but when they also uh, start functioning as as teachers for one another and you know mm-hmm. basically you know what you call in grad school uh, uh, you know a group uh, crit undergrads. Uh, you know that it takes them some time to give themselves permission to yeah. you know to tell each other what's what you know what they think is good and not so good about each other's work and i try to encourage them that i really need them to do that because they're in a different generation than i am so i can you know i can say stuff and it might be it might be total bs right because mm-hmm. i not i can't relate to their generation so they are in some ways going to you know they're the most important uh critics of one another and once they kind of learn that and they can kind of support each other and help each other grow like that that to me is like the best thing uh in the world yeah that was that um
1: that was really true for me as a student yeah that that forming of of sort of organic communities is really important and maybe it goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier in terms of DIY culture. Um that DIY is like it's funny because uh, I, I think I first heard this other term DIWO do it with others, uh oh, coming out that of one. like uh open f- the people behind open frameworks. But yeah, that's that's what my experience of DIY always was was that you you were never doing it just by yourself there there weren't isolated geniuses more often there were a group of like bored kids who were trying to entertain each other and trying to push each other other to do more interesting things and to basically liberate each other
0: yeah I, I like that d i w o because yeah, DIY has this weird, you know, it's it's like a, a two-faced thing, right? It's doing, yeah, I can do it myself, but then there's also this implication of, you know, do it yourself. We're not going to help you. <laughs> so yeah d i w o is uh, that's perfect. yeah, I think
1: that it, there's another thing that that you mentioned about um, you know, the the student's desire to please their teachers Mm -hmm. that, you know, I mean, going back to standardization and schooling, I think that that's, that's kind of to be expected, but I feel like, like one of the things that is most exciting for me is like, you know, I, I feel like maybe one of the expectations I lay down for them, like what I tell them will please me is if they do something that both you know, that was prompted by, you know, something we we're working on in class that still surprises me. I mean, I, I yeah. spend a lot of time looking at at various media, but I have to say that probably every semester a student or two does something that I've never seen something like that before. Yeah. and And that's really exciting. And it's even more exciting if they do something that surprises them Mm. You know, that that goes above and beyond any sort of uh, surprising me. I mean, after a certain point in time, that pleasing the teacher seems more like gaming the teacher. But when a student really surprises themselves, I think something new kind of opens up. And, um, you know, whether it's it's in programming or it could be, you know, any other kind of medium in art you know, that's, that's one of the most exciting things in
0: teaching art for me. That's, that's very true. That's an excellent spot to say thank you both. This was such an interesting conversation to listen in on. So thank you. All right. Thank you.